0: Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse, Energy Economics, and Climable.org.
1: Energy Nerd Show.
2: Hey, Jeannie. Yeah, Bruce. Who's on the show today? Today we have Janelle London and Matthew Metz from Cultura. Hi. Welcome. Well, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, thank you. Thanks. What are we talking about today?
1: Talking about gasoline.
3: So what about gasoline? Gasoline is a major fossil fuel that um, people need to focus on a bit more and use data driven approaches to cut its use. Everything about gasoline and tra- for cars, transportation gasoline? That's the gasoline we're talking about. Yeah, it's an enormous source of carbon emissions. We are being given this warning by scientists that we need to cut emissions from vehicles basically in half by 2030, and uh, we're not yet
2: on track. That's coming up pretty quickly. So, how are we? Going to do that? I mean, we have we have an EV, but we're in the industry. We pay a lot of attention to this stuff, and um, the people we tried to buy cars EVs from really didn't seem to want to sell us one at the at the Honda or uh, you know BMW wherever we went. Car dealers are
0: weirdly unenthusiastic, at least around our. our, uh...
3: Cambridge and Boston at selling EVs. At least a couple years ago, they were. Well, you know, luckily right now, overall demand for EVs is exceeding the supply of them. Uh, So that's great. But we've got uh, incentives. So governments give incentives for people to get EVs, um, but they're not really focusing on the main goal of those incentives, which would be to maximize gasoline cuts. And so our approach is, Instead of just selling an EV or or incentivizing EVs for anybody, let's incentivize EVs for the people who are burning the most gasoline. You know, if they can switch to an EV, that's displacing a lot of gasoline and helping all of us to breathe easier and helping us to have a healthier climate. So you're, you're suggesting
0: that my EV that I use to commute two miles a day is wasting an EV that
3: someone else should be using that they drive more? Not at all. You know, every gallon uh, of gasoline we can displace is valuable and we appreciate folks like you for growing the market for EVs. Um, and and in terms of public policy, in terms of government incentives, we're thinking we should use those incentives to, uh, where they matter the most to maximize gasoline cuts.
0: Yeah, well, that would make economic sense for the um, owners, drivers of those EVs as well, right? So, sounds efficient. How do we do that?
1: One of the ways that we do it is instead of just incentivizing the purchase of EVs, we incentivize the displacement of gasoline, because that really is the point of an EV, is to displace gasoline. And so one way to do that is by paying for gasoline displacement. And so, for example, it's possible to calculate how much gasoline a person uses in a year. So a big user of gasoline in America, what we call a gasoline super user, uses about 1,000 gallons a year and up, up to sometimes two or 3,000. And so if you say, for example, we'll give that person $10 for every gasoline, gallon of gasoline that they displace, then they would get a $10,000 uh, displacement award that they could use for an EV, where someone maybe such as yourself that's using 200 gallons a year, you'd get $2,000. Get, you'd get significantly less. And so it's a way of sort of bringing carbon pricing uh, into uh, uh, EV incentives. And so you get that kind of efficiency directed to where you want, but you don't have the political downsides of um, gas tax. tax.
2: So I'm curious how it would work, because I'm picturing uh, someone that drives a pickup truck. I'm from Texas originally, and their pickup truck can't just go to another driver. Right. If they're going to get the ten thousand dollars that vehicle is still gonna be gasoline gas just under some other ownership, is there?
1: Yeah, but but the odds are is that it will kind of regress to the mean. So a pickup truck going from someone who's using a thousand gallons a year is gonna go to someone using the average of maybe 450. And so, you know, that's a a big step forward.
3: we had this idea of let's get EVs into the hands of the biggest gasoline users to displace the most gasoline. And so we started looking around for information on who are these biggest gasoline users and where do we find them? And there was pretty much no information out there. There's just no one is really tracking gasoline consumption and finding where these super users are. Um, So we set about to do it. Um, So we found an amazing amount of data where we could, at a very granular level, find where these super users are, what vehicles they're driving, and a bunch of other data about them so that we can identify them and so that governments can target them for for switching to EVs first. So what would that be, the Sudoku credit card? Where do you find that data? (laughs) Yeah, so we were very lucky to get some data from the California Department of Motor Vehicles um, and also what's something called the Bureau of Automotive Research that does um, smog and smog checks and records odometer readings when they do those smog checks. And so by using odometer readings and knowing the make year and model of the vehicle, which tells us it's miles per gallon, we're able to figure out how many miles that vehicle travels on average per year and how many uh, gallons of gasoline it's using. Um, And so when we know the type of vehicle and we also know the zip code level where this vehicle is located. um, So suddenly we are able to see kind of visualize in a map where are the heaviest concentrations of what we're calling these gasoline super users and a bunch of other demographics about the zip codes where they live. Um, what the main jobs are, where maybe they're near um, a major metropolitan area where it looks like they may be commuting a bunch of miles, um, the vehicles they drive, the languages that they speak, all sorts of data that, that's really helping us focus in on them. Cool.
0: Can you give us any examples of uh, locations or neighborhoods or places where this uh,
3: seems to be working? Sure. One example is a, a zip code in California in the city of Los Panos. And there, 26% of folks are gasoline super users, so that's pretty high concentration. The median income there is $63,000, which is kind of a little bit low for California. Um, and that zip code is located 80 miles away from the major metropolitan area that includes San Jose. Um, and so we, what we can tell from the data that we've been gathering is probably a lot of those super users are commuting round trip to San Jose every day. That would be 160 miles. Um, and we can also figure out that that is, uh, you know, 160 miles is doable. It's within the range of most EVs today. So they could probably switch pretty easily and cover their commute. Um, and then we also find that there's very, most people in that zip code are in single family homes. They could more easily install an EV charger than, say, somebody in an apartment building. Um, so they could switch to an EV, get all the way to San Jose, come back, charge overnight where the, at, the, at home where the electricity rates are the cheapest. Um, And and so there's not any technical barriers um, to them switching. Now, you might say, oh, but hang on, they can't afford an EV. $63,000 a year, of course, EVs aren't affordable. A lot of people think EVs are not affordable. But the thing about gasoline super users uh, that's different from other drivers is that they already have an enormous monthly cash flow Um, that they're spending buying all that gasoline. Their vehicles were also finding tend to be older vehicles, obviously, with a lot of miles on them because they're doing an average of 30,000 miles a year. And so um, carrying that monthly cash flow of the gasoline payments and maintenance, they could easily redirect that money towards making um, payments on a new electric vehicle. And so we've run a bunch of calculations, and we found that in most cases, super users actually save on a per-monthly basis by switching to an EV. Yeah, we we found that people
0: tend to overstate or overconsider the upfront cost compared to the operating cost in terms of all-in cost of vehicles, and you know for various reasons. But if a
3: policy can kind of get over that hump, it can save everyone money. Yeah, we're finding there's some companies, very creative businesses that are starting to look at how to deal with that upfront cost. Um, companies that have things like an EV subscription model, where you just get the EV and then pay on a per mile basis. And so those companies are, are very interested in what we're doing, and that we are able to locate where are those high mileage drivers um, who could really benefit from switching to an EV.
2: So that sounds like a prime place for some kind of a pilot program. I mean, there are always people, and I say, I mean, I'm thinking people like funders that are Interested in their, you know, the highest impact for the dollar. And if you could kind of roll something out in that town, um, you can, you know, make a really big difference pretty fast, I would think. Is there, so what's, what's happening with the, with the data? Um, and like, what are next steps?
1: To really achieve the scale that we need, we need to move really fast. And Janelle mentioned the savings on gasoline. Well, the people that benefit the most are these kind of lower moderate income um, super users. And so what we need to do is put together a coalition of people very concerned about income equality, about you know, racial equality, and, and people that are really concerned about the climate and really push together and that push hasn't always been as well coordinated as it should and and we think that with this data and when people really see this, we can get that coalition to really expand further the EV incentives. I mean now, the federal government has done um, through the Inflation Reduction Act, you know that's great $7500 tax credit, but for a lot of people that's still not going to make an ev accessible and you know some people don't even benefit from tax credits towards the lower end of the the spectrum and so so we really need to do a lot to to um, bring that uh those people along and 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 so because there's just so many benefits um from doing so by going after the gasoline super users the biggest users that will do the most to decrease overall demand for gasoline in the us which also helps bring the price of gasoline down for others so it really has broad benefits for society.
3: In California this year, uh, with the help of assembly member Phil Ting, we actually introduced a bill that would prioritize for EV incentives, uh, lower income super users. So again, we're getting the climate benefits because they are super users and they would be getting an enormous economic uh, kind of relief from the, from gasoline burden, right? The enormous financial burden that gasoline poses to their households. And that bill actually just in its first year passed through two committees with bipartisan support, Um, a rare thing these days. But we saw that people on both sides of the political aisle saw that they have people in their district who are dying from paying all this money for gasoline um, who could really benefit from uh, a a switch in EV incentives like this. Do you see it? being like by individual, when you say super users, is it this
0: person or this this house, this guy, or or is it more by zip code neighborhood, like the kind of informing policy design more broadly, or, or, or could you, would you actually target individual um, super gas users to, for to um,
1: for EPs? Yeah, I mean, the government actually knows who these people are because they do it just the same way that, that we can. So they could send a letter to people and say, hey, um, you know, um, you can benefit from an EV. Maybe here's the additional incentives that you can get. So it can be actually a very, you know, individualized um, targeting of of people. Uh, you know, of that opportunity.
2: Yeah. Well, you're really bringing together a lot of issues that so many people care about these days. So um, I agree. It's got to be bigger than a pilot. And I also think that there ought to be a ton of people. Interested. I'm wondering what you're doing in terms of outreach and kind of getting every, you know, all the stakeholders involved. And then are you working with um, community groups in some of the communities where you've already identified them like this, this one location you're talking about where there are maybe community groups that are already working with the people in that, in that location on energy
1: things. So what we're doing is like right now is we're getting those tools together, getting all the data together. And, you know, we're, for California, we're we're pretty much almost there. We hope to publish, you know, either late this year or, or first part of next year. And we're also providing like a website so that that people will be able to access this information for themselves, and you know, so it'll really be public. And and I think when a lot of equity communities, a lot of different people are going to say, hey, you know, there's a vast outflow of cash from our community that that we could really bring back in, you know, to spend, to spend that money locally, to go to renewable energy. I think then um, it, it's going to start to to mushroom, and we're going to do whatever we can to to push that along.
0: So if people want, if watching the show want to um... Find that information, that data, that website, those maps. Is there a place they can go now?
1: This is what they should do. they should, um, you know, sign up on Cultura website, and we're gonna do a big release in a month or two, and then they'll be the first to know. They'll they'll get notified. And I mean, there's a lot of good information about this already. This these concepts on Cultura's website, uh, in, especially our first super users report, and there's a lot of analysis at the national level. But really, this this last granular level, um, they'll have to wait a little bit. Cool.
2: It's not surprising this is coming out of California and that the data is somewhat available where you are. What are your hopes for this expanding to other states?
3: Yes, we are gathering enormous numbers of data sets. We're finding data sets in areas that we had not thought of before and they're giving us a clearer and clearer picture of super users and where they are and enabling us to figure that out across the entire country. So yes, we are, our plans are big our plans are to have very granular, like the most detailed look um, ever, at gasoline consumption across the U.S. Um, and so we are working on that. The, the data sets are amazing, like street cameras, um, things that are helping us figure out exactly, you know, a lot of very detailed information about these folks.
1: We need to understand how consumers use gasoline. You know, there's a lot of data out there from the federal government. Oh, in California, they use 15 billion gallons and things like that. But we, we've never had a granular understanding of, of how actually gasoline is used in the street. And we, we really need that. And if we have that, we can we can really begin to attack the problem of gasoline with, with much more sophistication, for more angles, you know, making better investments. That's a process that I think really needs to move forward.
3: And I would just add that another thing we're doing is um, issuing a big survey of gasoline super users to better understand their perceptions and attitudes about EVs and to start to understand what's going on inside their minds, like what would it take for them to be willing to switch to an EV?
2: How are you finding survey participants?
3: Survey Monkey has a, what's called a, a panel and super users are about 10% of the population. So we're doing a very broad sample and anticipating that 10% of those who respond are gonna be super users.
2: But that survey is U.S., national U.S. Uh, participants, you think?
3: And we're starting with a California survey. Since we do have this very detailed data, we can test it against uh, the responses of people in these various zip codes and understand more kind of what they're thinking.
1: Everything that, that we've been talking about, we want to do nationally and you know ultimately globally. We think that, that this is a story that needs to be told everywhere.
3: And by the way, there's no one in the world we're aware of that's looking at gasoline consumption at this kind of granular level and this is a major, like this is one of the biggest sources of carbon emissions. So, you know, if governments were companies, of course, they'd be looking at all the data and that's what needs to happen now.
1: This idea of really segregating the biggest users of, of fossil fuel, it really has it, it's actually fairly we kind of invented it. And it actually needs to be applied to other domains from home heating oil to many different areas in, uh, to guide investment. And right now, you know, generally, like all users are sort of treated equally, regardless of how much fuel that that they're using uh, for different government programs. So we we really need to get a little bit smarter on that and and really go after the biggest fossil fuel users in in many different domains.
3: A lot of people say, well, what about people who uh, live in apartment buildings and they don't have easy access to EV charging? What will we do for them? And I would just say that there's 44 million apartment units in the U.S. And so um, instead of trying to get EV charging for all of them, if we focused on the ones where super users live, that would have a lot bigger payoff in terms of gasoline reduction.
2: Easy enough to put them in the parking lot.
3: I'm gonna say that most
0: of the uh, analyses that I've seen of you know, electrification of transportation and it really is uh, counting cars, right? So it's about market share, of cars going off the lot, it's um, the share of cars on the road, you know, how many EVs on the road and the idea of tracking and designing policies that address usage and miles traveled and therefore CO2 and, and you know, other um, you know air pollution and effects of um, fossil fuel combustion. It's like,
3: yeah, great, great idea. Let's figure out how to do that. <laughs> yeah, right now, um, there's just this assumption out there that all EVs displace gasoline equally. And we now know that that is very untrue. The top 10 percent of drivers in the U.S. are burning a third of all the gasoline.
2: Wow, People should know that.
3: In
0: terms of our traditional thinking about this, it's kind of like, oh, well, uh, a gas tax or a carbon tax, you know, or per mile in, per mile insurance. You know, that that would be the way to handle this, right? Because that would address the um, usage, right? But but you're saying if you want to give incentives. For EV adoption, how do we target those in a way that they're going to be most effective?
3: Right. And the gas tax is pretty unfair. Uh, What we're finding is the people who use the most gasoline aren't doing it because they love to drive around in big, inefficient cars. They're usually doing it either because they can't afford to live near where they work, so they're commuting a lot of miles every day, um, or they're driving as part of their work, often in an old, pretty inefficient vehicle. Um, so it's not like they're trying to do this. They they need relief from the uh, spending that they're having to do on all this gasoline.
1: Yeah, they're generally kind of pushed to the fringes of uh, the big metropolitan areas, and and so you know, spending, as they say, 10, 15, sometimes 20% of their income on gasoline. And then you come along and say, oh, we're going to tax you <laughs> another, another 10% of your income, your your household budget. That's not very popular. And there's nothing they can really do about it, as Janelle says. So when you look at it that way, the efficiency of the gas tax starts to um, have a little different color on it. Right.
2: And the relief that Janelle was talking about is, really meaningful to those households who need it, but also really benefits society. So we should all be paying mm-hmm. into that. Like, it's a very good idea.
0: Yeah, one, one question I have is with um, like some of the utility programs for efficient uh, air conditioners or efficient refrigerators where there were subsidies incentives, um, we would have a requirement that you don't just get the new refrigerator and put the old inefficient one in your garage or in your basement. You know, So there was a kind of like, let's take the uh, problematic uh, stuff that we're replacing out of the system and shoot it, you know, and, uh, you know, or put it in a landfill or recycle it. And so I guess one of the things I've been thinking about with cars is how do we, in addition to incentivizing the EVs, is there a way to kind of take the clunkers off the, off the, uh
1: The thing is, is that a 2022 Ford F-150 V8 pickup only gets a couple miles better gallon than than one from like 2005. Whereas a refrigerator like a modern refrigerator is probably like 2x or 3x more efficient. If you say well we're taking this F150 off the road and then a, a brand new one is coming in the in the back door, you know, a brand you know, it doesn't make any sense. And so like what what we're kind of counting on is is that um, to the extent a super user sells their, their F-150, then it's going to go to a more medium level user, like, you know, kind of like it's a regression to the regression to the mean. So that will reduce the overall consumption by that vehicle by maybe two to three times.
3: Presently, super users are on track to be the last people to switch to EVs, and we need to flip that. They, they really need to be the first people. Um, the other thing is, if we can get these biggest users of gasoline to switch to EVs first, it would take a lot fewer total EVs on the road to cut vehicle emissions in half. Um, so just in California, if we could get the biggest users to switch first, we would need 9 million EVs on the road to cut emissions in half. And if the super users, the biggest users switch last, as they're currently on track to do, it would take 24 million EVs on the road to cut vehicle emissions in half.
1: Yeah, at the, at the national level, if super users go first, it's 98 million and if they go last, it's like 235 million. And that's assuming that there's like 260 million light duty vehicles on the road, which depends on very uh, definition. But if super users are last, that would be almost double our um, annual vehicle production in the U.S. for 10 years. So, you know, it would be, you know, it'd be a lot.
0: Yeah, so, so especially when we're kind of su- supply constrained on uh, new EVs, then, then the, the logic of this is even more compelling.
3: And you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, everyone should just switch to bikes or public transit. Um, but for super users, they're doing an average of 30,000 miles a year. So they are just not great candidates to move to public transit or bikes.
1: Yeah, especially when they live primarily out in the in the fringes where, you know, everything's far apart. They have complex, people have complex lives, you know, going in myriad different directions, you know, along with a long commute. It's it's extremely difficult. We're actually looking into ways that um, non um Car ways to do it but it's it's tough
0: well hey, th- thanks for being on the show it's, it's great great learning about this it's
2: really nice meeting you thanks bruce and g thank you so much thanks <laughs> Bye.
0: check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed you can find the energy nerd show on social media pretty much everywhere at energy nerd show or on our website at
3: energy thanks for listening